Hi, everybody. This is Melissa McKenzie of The American Spectator, publisher there. And I am joined again with Scott McKay. Not as it turns out, some other dude, Scott McKay. Scott, I don't know what happened, but the, you have another guy in. I have a, I have a doppelganger. There's a, there's a, a, another guy out there who does like YouTube podcasts or whatever. Who's like a, um, like a big time. Like I'm a, you know, I'm a revivalist MAGA America first guy, but the other Scott McKay's like <laughs> puts me to shame. So um, yeah, I have like all these Facebook, you know, ads, people are like, oh, I love your podcast. And I'm like, I'm not actually doing a podcast until now. So it's a little, it's a little confusing, but you know, what are you going to do? Well, the thing is, is so what we've been deciding is, should we call you Scott J. McKay? Oh, you can't call me Scott J. Cause that's not my. What's your, oh, okay. What is it? Why um, did I think it's, that? It's an L. You could call me Scott L. McKay, or I could be S. Lambert McKay, but then I'd probably have to finish law school. Um, <laughs> Scott but, uh, yeah anyway I, well, I think I'm gonna I, so stick this with is what a... i've got actually if, if that's okay with everybody and let the other let the other guy try to outfame me how about that okay yeah i i was just like i was starting to get evidently this other guy has some detractors because i got some hate mail last week after our po- I will never watch a podcast with Scott McKay. And I was like, what? And then <laughs> I mean, they could be my detractors too. It's not like I've never pissed off anybody. So yeah, well, it turned out that not this time, but anyway. Okay. So today we are recording on what is going to be either a red wave or red tsunami day. I'm hoping on election day, 2022. This fine Tuesday here from Houston, you from where are you in Baton Rouge? Baton Rouge. Anyway, so I don't know about you. I voted today because I kind of wanted to see how it went on Election Day. And I have never seen so much busyness on a midterm Election Day. How is it? Was it for you? Well, actually, about an hour ago, I just came from uh, my precinct. And it's interesting. Mine is... Um, it's like a 50-50 down the middle precinct. I mean, it's 50% white Republicans and 50% black Democrats. Um, and, you know, I always vote on election day because I, I like to see, like walk in the door, see who's there. And yeah. it's not a perfect barometer, but more times than not, I can kind of tell how it's going to go based on like who I see in the line when I'm there. Yeah. Um, and there wasn't a line because Louisiana, like there's literally not a competitive race on the ballot in Louisiana. I mean, oh, okay. especially here in Baton Rouge, the, you know, the, the local congressman, Garrett Graves, there's like another Republican and a libertarian on the ballot. There's not even a Democrat. Um, John Kennedy has got like three ridiculously terrible Democrats. So like there's a judge race and there's a bunch of constitutional amendments and really other than that, there's like nothing. So mm-hmm. it wasn't going to be a high turnout deal, but there were some people there and every single one of them was like the white Republicans. Like there were no black Democrats there. And every other time that I've gone in and it's been like that, um, it's it's been like a big Republican year, which we know this is going to be a big Republican year. So I, I'm not going to try to say, oh, because there were no black Democrats in the line at my polling precinct that the red tsunami is on. I'm not going to say that, but this is, I mean, like, this is, I can usually tell when it's either a good year or a bad year, just walking in that precinct. And this is a good year. Put it that way. 
Okay. Um, so we'll see, you know, we'll see what that translates into. Um, you know, am I the, am I the Punxsutawney Phil of, uh, of, of red wave elections? Probably not, but you know, anyway, that's, that's what I, that's the, the, the sage analysis that I have to offer at the outset of the show. Well, we're halfway through the day and the, in Nevada, we've already, Republicans have eaten up uh, the Democrats 40,000 vote lead in Clark County. Already halfway big, through the day. Big news. Big, um, huge news. Yeah. So like, and then of course, in Arizona, we have voting problems in Maricopa County. Shocking. Shocking. Oh, so shocking. And so this is, this is, you, you know what, after this last election, oh, and did you see the, what, right before we came online here, um, a local judge in Philadelphia said that they could count un, and this, by the way, has already gone to the Supreme Court. The Supreme right. Court's already told Pennsylvania that they have to abide by their state law, election law. And right. now a state judge has said that um, in Philadelphia that they can count un um, dated ballots all the way up to no right. November 14th. Right. Um, which it's going to be appealed and it's, you know, the whole, the yeah. question is, you know, like that's going to get taken. The real question is, um, are they going to make sure those ballots are segregated from the rest? Um, because you know what they really want to do is mix them in and, oh, yeah. you know, and then, and then it's, there's nothing you can do. Um, I, I had seen some stuff and Steve Dace had a really, really good um, discussion of it on Twitter a couple of days back, I think it was over the weekend, um, of early vote numbers in Pennsylvania uh, that were eye-popping. Um, it was something like 350,000 more Republican uh, voters in early voting than, I don't know if it was 2020 or if it was 2018, maybe it was 2018, um, and 200,000 less Democrats. Um, so like those are crazy, crazy numbers uh, I mean, adding up to a 500,000 vote swing um, in Pennsylvania, which if that's the case, Oz wins, okay? And Mastriano may actually be in a position mm -hmm. to do something. I don't know if that's going to pan out. We'll see. Um, we have seen on early vote numbers, which, you know, and early voting matters because the Democrats' electoral turnout model is based on getting people out early. Mm -hmm. Um you know, Detroit is looking horrible for them. There's something like that. I think it was a county clerk said, yeah, we're, you know, we're looking at 30% turnout in Wayne County, um, which is, you know, Gretchen Whitmer's dead and gone if that's, if that's the case. Mm -hmm. um, you know, then, you know, I think it was like five hours after the polls had opened in Florida, there were something like 15,000 more Republicans voting mm -hmm. than Democrats in Miami-Dade which is unheard of, impossible. Um, and so, and this was true in all of the big Hillsboro, um, uh, whatever, Orange County, which is Orlando, um, Leon County, which is Tallahassee, mm -hmm. black turnout way, way down, white Republican turnout, particularly way, way up. Um, all of that is DeSantis. And Florida is not really a swing state anymore. I mean, Florida is a, a 
becoming a very red state. And I think this election is going to solve that away. But anyway, the whole point is, is there is a, um, at least early, and you never know how this is going to turn out. So, you know, by the time you guys all see this, you're like, God, McKay is such an idiot. He keeps saying these things that aren't true. But um, the indications seem to be that the Democrats are having major problems with turnout in inner cities um, and particularly minority communities within inner, within inner cities. And if that is true, then it would track with a lot of the polling data that we've seen. And it would also track with a lot of um, um, the sort of events-driven fundamentals of the race, which is mm -hmm. that America's cities are in absolutely awful shape and the Democrats mm -hmm. are the people that are running them. Inflation is killing particularly urban poor people. Oh, yeah. Um, and so, you know, being able to turn them out is a problem, not to mention that Republicans have been making inroads mm -hmm. with Asian-Americans, which is a, a, a pretty urban demographic, Hispanic-Americans um, in particular, and, and also with Black males and young Black males um, in, in particular. And so, I mean, you know, Wait that's a minute, I'm going to say something crazy here. Go for it. I think all of the CRT stuff, I think Muslims are, um, in particular, we're going to have to watch Dearborn in Michigan, I think are going to go Republican. Well, and yeah, they used to be. That video. Yeah, there was a video at a school board meeting in Dearborn. Yeah. And I mean, the, the Muslims were furious about all right, this. Of course. You know, and, and, and the other, you know, woke uh, trans stuff and whatever. I mean, mm. how do you make that play in the Muslim community? I have no idea. Um, well, the, I mean, what I'm saying, I think, into like legit Republican constituency before long. So, like uh, Robert Stacey McCain, who is so good on election stuff, um, and traditionally, he looked at my prediction, which is I have a wild, wild prediction for today. Okay, so my prediction for everybody. So this will, this will go, and I'm always wrong. So, and I told, I still told Stacey that I'm always wrong. But I think this time is going to be a very different election. And and so I have in the House that Republicans have 268 seats, which is, yeah. I'd love to see that. Yeah. And in the in the Senate, 54 seats. And the thing is, is I think. I don't think 54 is wild, by the way. No, that's not wild. But the 268 is insane. And I recognize that. But here's what no, I think. It, here's what I think is different this time. This is not a Tea Party wave. Right. This is a um, widespread tsunami. We have independents and we have Democrats who are furious. This is different. We're not. Yeah. We haven't had rallies for the last two years about Biden's corruption. We have a whole populace crushed by democratic Democrat policies. And so this is a different thing. This is why I think that voters are going to punish people in traditionally um, Democrat seats. And anybody close is going to get swept away because people are so upset. The, the changes that have happened in our country in the last three years have been so total and de and devastating. We really haven't seen and he and so Stacy said to me, he goes, "What you're predicting hasn't been the case since 1923." We the Republicans and I'm like, 
we're in a 1923 mm-hmm. kind of state that kind of pre uh market crash uh very fragile economy kind of state we're in trouble and everybody in america knows it and no one trusts the democrats at all and they've they've squandered the trust with all of the policies that they've put forth it's well, so like what I, what what i would describe it as i wouldn't say 1923 i would say 1920 because yeah. if you remember 1920 was the american people trying to throw off woodrow wilson and the mm-hmm. war socialism and all mm-hmm. the sort of ultra progressive stuff and you know that that was warren g harding and you know like his campaign motto was a return to normalcy um, um, which is what america wants right now and you yeah. know in, in the 1920 election was sort of the high watermark for Republican um, domination, particularly the House of Representatives. And, you know, like you're saying it, um, you know, I, I mean, in my column that appears today at the American Spectator, I had the video of you know me interviewing Newt Gingrich. And that was what he said was, look, this is, you know, going to be the most since 1920. Um, oh, did I think, he? I, yeah, I didn't I, realize I that. I think that's why he said it was, you know, somewhere between 20 and 50 in the house. And he said, and look for something more on the high side of that. So if you're saying 268, that's actually 56, um, which, you know, he may not disagree with because uh, mm-hmm. it's 212 now. So that would make it 268 would be a 56 eight mm-hmm. game. I'm going to go a little less than that. I'm going to say 245, which mm-hmm. functionally gives you the same majority. But mm-hmm. um, it wouldn't shock me if it went to you know, 250 or even 260. It wouldn't shock me at all because I see nothing for the Democrats to hold on to. Um, I mean, like, I, I, I think that they are in um, such a terrible state right now from, you know, from what their policies have done in the country and everybody understands it and you can't run from it. Mm. But their reaction to the uh, understanding of where they are, which has kicked in in the last week to 10 days, mm. um, has been so unhinged and so ridiculous and so offensive to yeah. like ordinary people of goodwill where they, oh, you know, this is the end of democracy if we lose. And mm. everybody's like, you know, I like because it's democracy is going to act to punish you for your awful record. Mm-hmm. And somehow that is the end of democracy that you lose power over your fellow man. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you know, that's why you're seeing people who are Democrats. You know, they see this rhetoric and it really pisses them off and for good reason, because they see that that kind of rhetoric and that kind of what that signals, which is we don't accept losing an election that we richly deserve to lose. Yeah. Um, And okay, so what do you do? And you find out, well, they're going to send DOJ election monitors to Mm. 64 jurisdictions in 24 states. All right. Everybody knows what that is because um, and there was a great piece that Molly Hemingway did in the, at the Federalist uh, over the weekend talking mm-hmm. about all of the things, like everybody's like, oh, they haven't done anything since 2020. And her piece basically refutes that point by point by saying they've the, the RNC and the party and, and all this have done a ton um, on election integrity. And, and like nobody knew this or nobody remembered it. For mm-hmm. 40 years prior to 2020, there was a court order that the GOP was under that they could not by law, according to this quarter, they couldn't do a nationwide system of poll watchers because some judge in New Jersey somewhere had said, oh, well, that's voter suppression if you do it. Right. Right. 
Um, and so like they didn't take advantage of that going away in 2020, but they actually have since well, mm-hmm. largely because they got a wake up call in 2020. And now mm-hmm. you've got tens of thousands of poll watchers that have been trained up over the last mm-hmm. two years that are flooding into these places. So the, the Biden administration's response to that is to send DOJ goons to try to ride herd over the Republican poll watchers. And I don't know if right. you saw this, but, you know, in Missouri and in uh, in Florida, particularly Ron DeSantis says, no, your guys can't come in. Yeah. You're not allowed in the, in the polling locations because, number one, uh, it's a pain in the butt to have these guys in there messing with things. And number two, you're not by any means neutral. We know that you're not neutral. You're Democrat right. operatives, right? You're there to, to, to bring on the same uh, farce that was going on in 2020 when they were making the Republican mm. poll watchers, you know, stand in the other room and look through a glass. I was being outside, and then they, in Detroit, you remember yeah, they like blacked out the windows. They even see in. Right. Yeah. So you know, so DeSantis told him, "No, you're not coming in." And of course, you know, they're all up in arms about that. But well, I mean, this is a state level thing, and exactly. so like these these uh, feds coming in for this type of thing, like, and in Texas, guess where they're going? Dallas County, Harris County, where all the fraud is where all the problems are, they actually jailed, you know, um, Catherine Engelbrecht uh, because of another, you know, bullcrap lawsuit. And all the Democrats are trying to do is just to keep people who know what's going on away from the elections. And that's why, you know, the whole, you know, jailing all these J6 people and everything. And so my thing is with this election this way, anything less then an absolute total devastating defeat, anything less will embolden the left to continue this way. And even still there, they hold power in so many important places. And this stuff has to be utterly crushed because it undermines the Republic people. If they don't think that their vote is being counted and that it's safe and that, and that um, the uh, system is meant to count every legal vote, the key word being legal, then people will lose faith in the system. And it's, and we're teetering on that edge. That's how you get a kinetic election, right? Yeah. That's how you get violence when people don't think that, you know, that, that peaceful means of settling things honestly um, produces results. Yeah. That's when that's when you're going to have people take to the streets. And, you know, it, this is the thing. And Democrats are no longer strategic thinkers. And the, like the thing that has kept them going for as long as it has as a political party that I think punched above its weight in terms of the amount of results that they could derive from their policies was was that they were very strategic thinkers politically. I think they've lost a lot of that um, because, you know, like. Here's the here's the the blowback on, um, you know, having the DOJ come in and now they're going to file a whole bunch of lawsuits to try to invalidate elections that they lose. Okay, whether it's Fetterman in Philadelphia, like whatever it might be, um, is when you start doing that in an election that everyone knows that you're going to lose and you're trying Mm -hmm. to claw seats back, whether it's senators or governors Mm -hmm. or what have you. Um, by means that people look at and all of a sudden it's a four o'clock in the morning, there's a massive vote dump and all of a sudden right, right. like ahead of the, and, and you know, their ABC news is like, well, there's a red mirage thing. And, and, you know, you, the reaction to that 
on social media when that story popped was, I mean, I'm being real kind when I say intensely negative. People got yeah. a hold of that and were like, absolutely not. Okay. Mm-hmm. So if you, if you engage in the kinds of shenanigans in 2022 that people perceived in 2020, okay, yeah. and they are, you know, they result in two or three Senate seats that the Republicans, everybody thinks they won, but they didn't win or whatever. The backlash that comes from that is ordinary folks who kind of were on board with the, you know, January 6th insurrection narrative. All right. Yeah. And so, oh, that election wasn't stolen. Those guys are crazy. Ordinary folks are going to say they weren't crazy. This is an illegitimate regime in charge of the country. And look what they just did. That's the risk that you run. Well, don't you think that there's already that subtext? Because like, there has been polling that has shown that even Democrats, something like 60% or something crazy, think that the 2020 election was rigged. Well, whether they think it's rigged, they think they know something was was off about right. it, right? Because and, and of course they did because it didn't feel like anything. I mean, like all of a sudden, you know, like you go to you go to bed thinking Trump won, and it came back. Even if you you were happy about Trump losing, you yeah. knew that that was not the way elections work in your experience, right? So and then you know they they I mean they put the National Guard out and they ring the Capitol with barbed wire and all this other kind right. of stuff. So none of that look none of that looked like a legitimate takeover of power. Right from right. an objective standpoint. And then if you yeah. if you back that up with the midterm election that you're supposed to lose as the party in power, okay? And right. you have more unusual things happen, there there's not going to be any convincing the American people that they're governed by um you know the the winners of the election. And they're going to go back mm-hmm. to 2020 and they're going to say you know, this is an illegitimate regime. Okay. And which means you have no chance of winning in 2024, number one, but what happens between now and 2024 becomes really dicey because people basically stop believing the government is, is legitimate and therefore stop obeying the government. Right. And like that manifests itself in all kinds of really bad ways. You think you have a crime wave now, wait until people just saw the government's not even legitimate. I don't know how you collect taxes from anybody when it's that situation. I mean, you can go on and on and on with how terrible it is. Not to mention, there's nothing they can do that can that can hold them the House of Representatives. And so you're going to have at least one body of, of Congress that will be all over whatever irregularities there are with investigations and all the rest mm-hmm. of it. And their constituents will be goading them on to oh, yeah. be as aggressive as possible. I mean... You know, like, I'm not sure I'd even want Kevin McCarthy's job because, like, yeah. you remember that scene at the beginning of, what was it, uh, Enemy at the Gates, right? And the Russians are attacking the Germans. It's a movie about Stalingrad. And it's the beginning mm-hmm. of the thing, and the Russians are like, okay, we're going to go attack the Germans. And they they don't have enough guns, so the guy in the front's holding the gun. The guy behind him is, like, going to pick up the gun when that guy gets shot. And it's, right. a, it's a complete horrible mess, but... When these guys take off and they start getting shot at and they go like, okay, we don't want to do this. They turn around. Their own people are shooting machine guns at them, right, to keep them going. Well, that's Mm kind of like Kevin McCarthy because the Republican voting base wants blood. And when you get that majority, you are going to have to pay that off with 
what I would call oversight, right? Like you're going to have to investigate all of these things. People want to know, okay, let's keep the January 6th committee going. We're going to restaff it and we're going to find out how many feds were in that crowd. And we're going to find out why Nancy Pelosi didn't have enough security there. And we want like, we want, don't let this go. We want to flip it over and find out the things that we really ought to know about January 6th. And he's- Here's the thing though, Scott, like, I don't think it's just the Republicans anymore. This no, is this not. is it's what's so well. dangerous for the Democrats and why I think that this is this election is different. Yeah, I think it's the independents. I it's think it's, independence. a, it's a good chunk of Democrats. Even still, I think that the people are like, wait a minute, you have lied to us. And, and so, like, there's been so many things that have undermined the official stance on on the uh, part of Democrats. And so they're so far out over their skis. Now, this is why I think that there's been so much screaming about like the Twitter control and that sort of thing, because the way that the uh, regime worked was by uh, manipulating people through social media. And then you have the social media uh, giants like Mark Zuckerberg throwing millions into to corrupt like literally on the ground, not only online to corrupt the the race in 2020, but on the ground to corrupt the race. And now you have a a system where people are just furious everywhere. And so like, I don't think it's just going to be the Republic. This is where it's wrong. And so the fact that people are voting for someone like Carrie Lake, right? Who's who the Dems helped prop up, who they thought there's no way that someone like that is going to get elected. And it's like, no, the independents and the Democrats are angry too. This is what you don't understand it. And I go back to like the school issues. I go back to the, there, there's crime issues. There's some real basic fundamental things that affect people every day of their life. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then illegal immigration. So say you're a working class black person trying to find a job. And the Democrats are flooding the zone with illegal immigrants again. And everybody, you know, people aren't dumb. They can look. Real incomes went up $6,000 per person, per family uh, during the Trump years before COVID. And now with inflation, they've reduced $6,000. I mean, and and that's with inflated prices. So their money is worth less. And then now like, so like just as a practical thing, you know, Howard Stern was talking about, you know, these people, democracies on the ballot. They don't, I'm like, he makes a hundred million a year. He's probably never hasn't grocery shop for himself for 20 years. Right. Meanwhile, I go to the grocery store and, and I said this on Twitter, but like, you know, buy a bag of salad used to be able to be enough salad for two meals. Right. Now, like it's the big puffy bag, but it's so little product. And yeah, like I have four, you know, four people eating in my house and, and we, it's barely enough for us. And I'm like, this is every family is affected by that. Like every family and that, that thing, you know, um, I have enough expenses that that sort of thing affects my life. And And for people who are working class, even more so. And so like, 
this is such a system wide thing. And, and the thing is, it's going to, it's going to get worse and everybody knows it. Like Biden has been suppressing the gas prices. They're going to go up after the election. Everything's going to inflate more after the election and, and people know it. And they're, and, and now there's job cuts to boot. So well, it's the perfect storm of crap and it's all the Democrats fault. Well, you know, the way you can think about this is there's five fingers that make a fist, right? Um, it's crime, it's inflation in the economy, it's immigration on the border, all right? It's, uh, it's energy um, and, it's, uh, and it's the sort of woke tyranny and all mm -hmm. that entails, right? Whether it's mm -hmm. the trans piece or the, or the critical race piece, or mm -hmm. I think there's something to this whole third wave feminism thing. And like, people are sick and tired of that. Okay. Yeah. And I mean, you know, um, we're going to find out in Michigan with this prop three that basically is like the voters, you know, um, the voters, you know, are going to go to the polls today and they're going to decide if, if it's a yes vote, then there's basically abortion on demand all the way up to, you know, date of birth uh, in Michigan. Um, right. And there was a really interesting piece at the Federalist earlier today, Jordan Gerke, who's a political consultant um, who I think is from Michigan and uh, works all over the country now. But he wrote this piece about went home to Michigan to check it out and see what's going on. Um, you know, and he said, yeah, he goes, I think Tudor Dixon's going to win. He's like, but the big thing is this prop three, because every church in Michigan has put it on the marquee, you know, vote no on prop three. Um, they, you know, like there are no on prop three signs in like all kinds of yards in neighborhoods that are not just Republican neighborhoods, but like everywhere. Um, and, you know, mm -hmm. and his whole take was, he's like, you know, they thought that the Dobbs decision was going to be their saving grace. And it turns out that abortion issues may actually be, you know, what like the, 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 you know, the straw that broke the camel's back with a lot of people that, you know, now that you see what the Democrats are really mm -hmm. all about on abortion, nobody wants abortion on demand until the date of birth. Nobody wants that. Everybody mm -hmm. thinks that there's, you know, I mean, like, you know, you like everybody knows that's a baby, at least at that late stage. And you have to have some limitations on it. And the Democrat Party is not willing to yeah. agree to that. And we have gone from safe, legal and rare to where we are right now. And they're the radicals on abortion. And this whole like the Dobbs decision. And it's kind of a it tells like I come back to, you know, the Democrats are no longer strategic thinkers. The strategic thinking piece would have been immediately to retreat to safe, legal, and rare and take the high ground on abortion. And then you can yeah. monetize Dobbs. But they they have no ability to do that anymore. And you know why. The reason is, is that Planned Parenthood owns the Democrat Party, okay? Um, and, and so, like, the way I look at it is, I, and I really hope that, uh, that this Republican majority in the House, where the budget starts, is smart enough to say we are going to zero Planned Parenthood's funding. We will zero it out. Because you will never have a better argument or you have never had a better argument for doing it than you have right now, which is to say, you know, look, they fund abortion. We've been saying for years that we're not going to allow federal dollars to go toward funding abortion. Oh, but that's only 5% of what Planned Parenthood does, right? You remember that old lie that they can Oh, tell? yeah, yeah, right. So now the comeback to that is, oh, we know, because the other thing that Planned Parenthood is involved in is giving puberty blockers to kids to turn right. on trans. And we ain't paying for that either. Right. 
So there's your argument. It's like, okay, not only are they going to, you know, they're killing babies and selling the body parts, but they're also turning your kids trans and we are not paying for it. And the minute that Planned Parenthood loses all that federal money, Planned Parenthood is no longer going to be the sugar, sugar daddy for the Democrat Party. And if these guys are well, smart, they will figure that out and they will defund their enemies like they should and like they had, like they should have been for decades and failed to yeah. do. Well, so like, This is the first election cycle ever in my lifetime where I've seen mainstream media um, reporters ask Democrat candidates, so do you believe in any limitations at all? And so the beautiful thing about it, going back to the states, is Democrats are having to say what they really believe. Yes. It's not this vague. And thank God, God Dobbs came out when it did, because the initial response was, oh, no, abortion's over. And then everybody realized, well, no, that's not actually the case. And then and then they're like, wait a minute. So the Democrats stand for killing babies. And then so then Democrats are in the position of defending what they actually believe. Yeah. Finally. Right. And then it's also with this trans stuff. They're also having to defend that kind of insane turf. And then with the Black Lives Matter and you see all these black people in cities going, you know, crime is terrible. And people are being told, like Kathy Hochul is like, why do people care so much? And it's so tone deaf and so disrespectful. But finally, the attitude of Democrats, this kind of elite snobbery is coming out. Same way in Los Angeles, where everybody's having to step over homeless people right outside their yards, and they're being told that this is no big deal, and they see they're seeing their communities completely ruined. So right. the the evidence in front of people's faces is so obvious, and now Democrats are having to defend it. They for for decades the, in these safe Democrat places like San Francisco, like California, like like Los Angeles, like. Chicago, like um, Philadelphia, New York, they haven't had to defend themselves. Mm-hmm. The The media has gone along, but the but some of these um, legal changes are forcing the conversation and it's not going well. And so like you talk about the feminism stuff, I think the other thing that bl- that's connected with this, I couldn't believe that Whitmer was running around uh, Michigan with, with Randy Weingarten. But oh, yeah. I do believe it because I'm from Michigan and it is owned by the teachers union. And so here's this woman who is an absolute pox on the body politic in, right. in America. And she is running around telling these parents and and this is true of Democrat independent and Republican parents. So this is across the board that they shouldn't be upset that their children were educated. And that, I'm sorry, that cuts through everything. You know, inflation cuts through everything. Killing babies cuts through everything. Education for children cuts through everything. And so this this is why I feel like this election is different because you know, yes, the Tea Party waves, and they were huge, um, were were fantastic. You know, flipped the Senate and gave us a, you know, McConnell, despite his best efforts to make that not happen, uh, the Tea Party won anyway, and the Tea Party candidates won any, anyway. Well, in this case, now we have kind of, you know, one thing that the Democrats don't get 
is the MAGA type Republican is really kind of a centrist. This is this is they are not necessarily as socially conservative as a, what we consider a true conservative. And yet what the difference is, is they're kind of blue collar in their outlook as far as just getting things done, like talking about it doesn't matter. And Republicans in general, and I'm talking a lot here, but Republicans in general are sick to death of this highbrow, fancy pantsy, libertarian BS perspective perspective, which is we keep these impossible ideals, but don't get the incremental things done. Right. All praise goes to the to the grassroots movements against abortion. You know, the who have been the pro-life people have shown the way where you incrementally get things done. And Republicans and if they're going to appeal to Democrats and independents, they are going to have to do things that can be done and do them strong. And that's why DeSantis is, you know, um, popular because he's actually said, nope. And actually, it, and here's the sleeper is Glenn Youngkin in Virginia. He's been doing the same kind of stuff and he has been smashing the teachers unions and running circles around the Democrats there because he's listening to parents with kids in school. So it's not very like what you would consider kind of radically conservative. And yet you would think the um, kind of the inside the beltway libertarian DC Republican elites are like, oh, these people are like dirty. Oh, look, remember, remember how those people uh, make their livings and, and, and how they've survived. OK. And, you know, it's because there is some out of touch, big money guy that's paying for all of that stuff. OK. Yeah. I mean, you know, I don't want to like name anybody in particular or whatever, but there is a class of, you know, conservative opinion maker who is wholly satisfied with being, you know, the Washington generals to the Democrats, Harlem Globetrotters. Okay. They've, they've made good livings doing that. Right. And, you know, like I, and I come back to this all the time, they write all these pieces about, you know, making the conservative case for X. Well, you know, not only is X not conservative, okay. Mm -hmm. um, average conservative voters are disgusted by X and independents are disgusted by X as well. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I I mean, evidence bears me out on this. Um, I mean, I've argued for a long time, probably 60% to two thirds or maybe more of independents are disgusted Republicans that are independents now because the GOP has pissed them off so much they don't want to do it anymore, right? Mm -hmm. So I don't want to, you know, I'm not part of that party. They vote, they'll vote Republican more often than, than they vote Democrat. A lot of times they just won't vote because they, they, I mean, those are the people that tell you about the uniparty. Right. Yeah. But they're conservative or right leaning, put it that way. Um, mm -hmm. And if you can recapture those people into a Republican Party that's driven by a sort of a common sense populist conservative approach that's not driven by think tanks and, yeah. you know, big donor, you know, folks basically buying um, legitimacy for ideas that you otherwise can't sell to the public which is basically Bush conservative, Bush Republicanism to a T. Um, yeah. You know, once you break free of all of that, you find that you do have 55 to 60% of the American public for that agenda. That was Ronald Reagan's mm -hmm. um, 
That was Ronald Reagan's uh, uh, secret. I think to an extent it was Trump's secret. The, the problem with Trump is he's not a particularly skilled politician and he couldn't necessarily get yeah. people on the edges. But people who don't like Trump will tell you, well, you know, the economy did pretty well when he was president. Like, they will tell you that. They didn't want to vote for him because of the mean tweets. And they deluded themselves into thinking that Joe Biden could would keep all the things that were working with Trump and then just mm -hmm. kind of call things down. And boy, you know, like the reason that this thing could be as big as we're both kind of hinting that it could be is because those people after two years realized that they got lied to. And yeah. people absolutely hate being lied to by politicians. Um, and so that's kind of where you are. Now, the real kind of opportunity here is to pay this off. OK, and, not, you know, not just embrace a, a sort of a common sense, um, activist common sense uh, agenda with the Republicans in the House and the Senate and the majority. And, and also you're going to have I'm calling it 32 governorships. It yeah. could go as high as 35, yeah. depending on yeah. how things go. Uh, Real Clear Politics, as last time I looked, which I think was uh, last night or this morning, actually, um, 30, they were calling it 30. I think 30 is conservative. Anyway, the whole point is, is that this big kind of governing majority, other than having the White House, and if you embrace an agenda that, you know, where you're, you're focusing on things that are 60, 40 and better issues for you, but also, and like you pointed out with this, you know, DeSantis comes strong and Young can come strong on things that he knows he's right on and the yeah. public will support him on and like does not give up and is right. willing to trade hard on those issues. Yeah. Okay. I mean, there and there's so many different things that not only can you do, but have been done in the past. Like the when the Tea Party majority went in, not no, I take that back. When the when Gingrich's majority went in in '94. Yeah. The first thing they did was a rescission bill and they got rid of all of the stupid stuff that Clinton was trying to spend money on. Right. Um, right? You need to do that. Go do rescission bills and get rid of all of the, the IRS agents and all this other kind of stuff like that. And then make a big deal about all the things that you've just done for the American people yeah. so that they recognize that all this talk about the Uniparty, while it might have been true at one time, it's not true now. And then force Joe Biden, like, I'm going to veto your, you know, your, your exactly. budget bill because it doesn't have my 87,000 IRS agents. And the Republicans yeah. go, guess it's a shutdown, right? And oh, you can't do that because that's that's scary. And people are like, no, no, we're willing to shut the government down for a couple of weeks to keep you from getting besieged with 87,000 armed goons from the IRS. Do you right. think that the majority of the American people will be like, yeah, go for it because I don't want that? Right. Like right. this is the issue. We're not going to allow him to inflict these people on you. And if that means that the government shuts down for three weeks, you might find out that the government shutting down ain't that big a deal. And boy, right. that's not good for Joe Biden and his crew. Right. And, and like Republican voters have known this for decades. Right. But, you know, they're so afraid of getting you know talked about on NBC News negatively that they, you know, they won't do it. And when Ted Cruz was like the first one in a while, said like, look, shut the government down. It's fine. Nobody's going to care if they do, right? And well, and my thing is, shut them down and don't give them back pay. Oh, absolutely Make, not. make this painful Sorry, a trillion dollar deficit. Everybody's got to take a, a, you know, take a bite of this poo-poo mm -hmm. sandwich that we got, right? Like, I mean, yeah. I, like I, nobody cares about the problems of federal employees. Nobody cares. Mm -hmm. They care. Okay. They care too much. But everybody else, I mean, is laughing.
laughing at their problems. All right. So take that attitude rather than, you know, the old fashioned, stupid party kind of, you know, Bush Republican Mitch McConnell attitude. I mean, you know, go, go on offense. I mean, I've been preaching this like for a while. But well, the thing is, is that like, I don't know. And one of the questions I was going to ask is, you know, Bill Clinton triangulated. He he was politically nimble. And yeah, I, exactly. I don't think that's going to happen with Biden because, I mean, Biden's already called the lid today. Like he's already called, he's, He's taking a nap right now. Right. And and so, like, I don't see how. And he's his uh, White House is so radical yeah. I that mean, I don't see how of, that they they do this. Yeah. I mean, this is a bunch of unreconstructed, you know, Obama, uh, you know, um, flunky people that that, you know, should have gone out and gotten real jobs after the Obama administration ended. And instead, they stuck around you know, waiting to, to, to run Joe Biden. And they've run him straight into the ground. Um, there's not an ounce of charisma anywhere near, like there's, there's nobody that they, can, that they can put out there that can stem this tie. Um, and, and when the fight, assuming the Republicans are willing to fight, when the fight comes, these guys are, I mean, like they are not going to respond well to it. They're not going to do things that will make, the American people turn back to them and go, well, maybe these are the good guys after all. It's going to get worse. They are going to weaponize DOJ first yeah. on this election, then on, I mean, you know, like guys like Scott Perry bringing his cell phone to, you know, to go eat dinner with the family and they're going to come get his cell phone. They are right. going to do these things and the American people are going to see it. The, you know, mm -hmm. the problem is like you can do that you can't do it, but you can maybe, you know, logistically do it when the GOP is in the minority. But when there's a Republican majority and you're actively harassing members of that majority, the shit is going to hit the fan. And I don't okay, think these guys are smart enough to realize that. To that point, do you think that the DOJ indicts Trump? Yes, absolutely I do. I think mm -hmm. that, I think it's, he's... November 15th is the date he's going to announce for president. Right. And by Thanksgiving, they're going to indict him. I mean, do you think they indict him before do. he announces? No, I think they're going to wait until he announces and then they're going to indict him. And they're going to feel like, oh, we took him out of the race. And it's like, I mean, I, you know, what you've done is you've created a, a, a situation where civil unrest starts to become a real possibility. And the thing I, is, is everybody's going to get that. Like, it's not right. going to play well in Peoria when you do this. Um, mm -hmm. And what it's going to do is it's going to, it's going to, I mean, I go back to my enemy at the gate scenario with people shooting machine guns at the retreating soldiers. It's going to force Republicans in the House to move forward on things like a Biden impeachment, the cabinet impeachments and so forth. Like, they're going to have to do it because their constituents will demand it once yeah. they indict Trump. And they're going to do other things on top of that. I mean, you know, you're, what you're going to see is EPA and OSHA and all these other agencies. They're going to they're going to sick those on every every businessman in America who donated money to the Republicans and the Republicans raised a whole lot of money this cycle. Mm -hmm. And they didn't raise a whole lot from corporate America either. I mean, this was a lot of small and midsize mm -hmm. people who dug deep to fund this red wave. 
And they are going to do everything they can to punish them with every kind of inspection under the sun, every yeah. kind of investigation. And I mean, like and the, the, the screaming on this is going to get very loud. OK, mm -hmm. and it is going this is going to become, you know, an issue where they're going to force Republican voters and conservative activists and so forth into a survival mentality. Um, mm -hmm. And the kind of militancy that the Democrats have specialized in since Trump won re-election. Um, mm -hmm. And I like, I, I mean, I'm saying this and I, I know I sound like a Cassandra, but I don't see how this doesn't happen. OK, because this is not a nimble, uh, competent. I mean, you know, Bill Clinton was the scumbag scumbag. OK, but the guy understood because he had actually lost an election back in Arkansas. Then yeah. you know what? You, I mean, you're not fireproof. They can come and get you. If you don't do a good job or if you do things that the voters don't like, you will pay the price for it. Nobody in the Biden White House has ever paid a price for any of the horrible things that they've been associated with. They didn't even yeah. pay a price for trying to do a coup d'etat on a, a duly elected president. The Trump right. Russian thing, everybody got off scot-free. They they freaking lost a war in Afghanistan and it gave yeah. the Taliban $85 billion worth of military equipment and nobody got fired. These guys right. don't understand the concept of political accountability in any way, shape, matter, or form. Okay, And they're about to get the first big dose of that. None of them are prepared, prepared for it. Half of them are, are you know, millennials who, you know, like are a bunch of privileged, you know, red diaper baby kids. Yeah. Who, you know, didn't even get in schoolyard fights growing up. Most of these people. All right. They have no idea of the, the concept of like danger as consequence for bad actions. They've never had to deal with any of that stuff before. Okay. okay I have two questions for you. One is and comment and some comments like I'm thinking about how the corporate world has gone completely woke right right and they have made it clear that they what side they're choosing now places like disney have had to walk back their buffoonery because they killed their own brand yep. and um you know they're they're having real trouble okay so they're being a little bit more realistic but we have a lot of other corporate entities who are these globalist um, America last companies now who are in bed with the Biden administration and, you know, and they're right now refusing to advertise on Twitter, that sort of thing. Right. And they're basically kind of stonewalling. What do you think will be the response in the corporate world to what we're seeing? Like in this kind of, there's already kind of rumbles of of this, like kind of, uh, and people are starting to kind of realize that maybe they've gone too far. And I think the response will be, now we're gonna be apolitical. It's never that they're pro-Republican or that they're pro-whatever, they're either, obviously pro-woke Democrat or they're they're neutral. They'll go back to neutral. Yeah. Um, and so like, it's not like we'll see, you know, pro-family policies. They'll send their employees to go get an abortion. It's not like we'll see them give the a right. new family a baby bonus, you know, would. Well, I, I, I'm interested to see how that evolves because the next step for, say, the pro-life movement, 
all right, um, is if you can consolidate wins in legislation at the state level on abortion and these kinds of things, mm-hmm. you know, and I mean, you've, you've heard my whole argument that five to 10 years from now, that issue is going to become obsolete because medical technology is going to make it so that yeah. 15 weeks, you don't have an abortion. They just, they take the fetus out and they incubate it and then somebody adopts it. And for the same user experience, you save a life and every, you know, like all of a sudden you can't have an abortion anymore when you have that alternative, right? And then it's done. Um, and that's not that far away because at 22 weeks, they can do that now. Okay, mm-hmm. so getting it down to 15 is not that this massive, massive leap. But the pro-life movement, if they're smart, now becomes the pro-family movement. And that's the next battlefield for them is corporate America that, you know, hey, stop disincentivizing your female employees from motherhood, Mm -hmm. right? Right. Because you've done this for, what, 40 years now. And Mm -hmm. our birth rate is down the tubes. We're like Italy or Germany, right? Like, I mean, we're in, right. in, a, in a serious death, demographic death spiral as a result of what corporate America has done in incentivizing women to be 40 years old and then look up and go, oh my God, am I too, am I too late to have a kid? And the answer is, yeah, kind of, um, you know. And, and men but, too, by the way. I oh, mean, the- absolutely. You know, the Absolutely. research is not good for men or for women. It's been one of the biggest lies I've seen foisted upon people worldwide is this kind of that your fertility window never closes. And this is the thing. I, I've 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 seen patients. I've had female patients go through menopause at 37. Yep. And that's not atypical. So yep. like you know, people and then people in their 30s are like, well, I'll have no problem starting a family then. And then go and then they're spending thousands and thousands of fertility treatments because guess what? Our fertility. Yeah. And it's in your early 20s or whatever. I mean, like biologically, that's what you're wired to do. And yet, oh, you need to wait before you have. It's like, you know, that's not what Mother Nature says. And of course, most of this has been, you know, foisted on on our culture. Um, by the, I mean, by the left, obviously, but in, mm-hmm. in basic case by the feminist movement. Yeah. Um, and corporate America looked at this and said, well, you know, hey, I mean, it's probably not a bad idea to have all of these childless women that don't have families and they're married to their job because, I mean, you've got them in the palm of your hand. Right. I mean, the the typical sort of personality that you get for somebody that would join a big organization as a, as a female is that they marry that organization and then yeah. you can treat them like hell as an employee. And they're, you know, Jordan Peterson does this whole thing about that. They're they're agreeable, whereas more men tend to be less agree, more disagreeable. A man right. will put up with what a woman will. And so they look at this entire thing like just keep them on the job. And then when they turn right. 45 or so and they've kind of hit their terminal velocity with their company dump them out and go bring in the next you know uh dumb kid out of college and we'll you know have a nice 20-year ride with them too and i mean that is the corporate sort of hr mentality and the woke thing kind of covers for that um i think that's going to be one of the next things that you start to see evolve in american society particularly 
you know, given that you have this, um, you know, kind of rise of remote work and all this other kind of stuff like that, where you don't have as many people captive in the office as you used to. So mm -hmm. people can kind of interact with folks outside of their company and get a mm -hmm. maybe broader perspective on work and life than you've had when you were, you know, commuting an hour each way and all like, a lot of that is melted off. And I don't think that these people are as malleable or as controllable as they used to be. And they're going to want more. Um, and, you know, on the high level on corporate America, what I see happening is a uh, sort of a second wave of like the 1980s corporate raider thing happening. Cause you've got so many of these big companies that have, they're really asset rich, but whose business model is not, um, ascending in many cases. And I mean, so that's a lot of companies that are probably worth more broken up than kept around. Mm. Um, and so when you start to see some of these woke companies that put themselves in less advantageous market positions, I think you're going to start to see some takeovers. I think you are going to start to see some people come in, you know, buy these companies, break them up, sell pieces of them off, um, General Motors being a perfect example, because that, mm. that thing is going to go down. I mean, they're going to take their entire fleet electric. And I mean, what, you, the cheapest car you're going to sell is $75,000. Who's going to buy these cars? But yet you're going to have all of these factories and all of these manufacturing plants, all of you know, the, the supplier contracts and everything else. And if somebody wants to come buy that company and break it up in a million pieces and start brand new automakers or take the you know the parts of gm and spin them off into separate companies or whatever i mean that's a gold mine once this thing really hits bottom um for what their dumb woke executive class has done to them um you know so i like i see in the, in the years to come i see woke corporate america is gonna live out the you know get woke go broke um um, thing and I, and I think there's going to be a lot of people waiting in the wings to um, to uh, to take advantage of it. And I like, so I, like I think you're going to look at the you know the Dow Jones and the companies being traded on, on at the in the Dow Exchange are are in the in the, the the Dow list are going to be a lot different than what they are right now ten years from now. Oh, that's got to be true. So Zelensky came out today and was opining about how. Um, the war um, against Russia, that Russia was fomenting climate change because of this war. I'm not even joking. He said this. And so here he is going to, I think it's the G20 and um, Russia is part of that. And there's been some rumor that if Putin goes, that he'll be killed if he in transit to this thing. And yeah, and Zelensky's um, saying that he won't go if Putin is there, blah. But I'm wondering from the United States perspective, already like I'm seeing some things in the news that by the Biden administration on the DL is talking to Zelensky and saying, try to get to the negotiating table with Putin now. And uh, Putin is, um, oh, what's the name of the state? Mara, Maripol? Mary, yeah, Maripol. And how they're really um 80 of the population there i guess wants to stay with russia or something and right. that they're building some kind of weird metal wall around the city and really deeply entrenching well i'm wondering now with this overwhelming you know 
rebuke that I suspect is going to happen here with the um, Democrats, if that changes uh, Biden's perspective on this war and we, you know, say, hey, we're not going to be helping this anymore. And then he becomes like this anti-war hero or if he'll up the ante and um, try to prove his worth as a war president or something. Well, I would say that that's Kevin McCarthy's going to have a lot to say about that. You know, I mean, I like if I'm advising Kevin McCarthy, one of the things I tell him that he should do tomorrow is to call the White House and say, look, you saw me say this publicly, but there's no more blank check for Ukraine. Um, and what we want is for you to set up the peace table and let's go in this war. Because we're not mm -hmm. gonna we're not gonna come up with another eighty billion dollars for these guys. We're just not gonna do it. Go get this settled and let's move on. Because we've lived for three months or so with the threat of nuclear annihilation over our heads, and we're done. We're not gonna pay to put ourselves in a situation where we're more at risk of getting nuked by the Russians than if you'd been at the peace table six months ago, like you should have been. If yeah. I'm if I'm if I'm advising McCarthy, that's what I tell him. And you know, let let I mean let that be known. The White House is look, you know, this Congress is not going to is not going to declare war on Russia, and this Congress is not going to provide you know uh, weapons and and money to Ukraine indefinitely. We want the peace table, and we are certainly not going to put up with Zelensky acting like you know he's the chicken hawk general with our money and potentially our soldiers, because, you know, and the other thing I'd say is the 101st, 101st Airborne is coming home. Come home, yeah. Get them out of Romania. We're not interested in that. Mm -hmm. You're going to have to bring those people home. Like, that's what I would just like, you know, and we're not, we're not carrying water for Putin. What we want is peace talks, right? Mm -hmm. This war has gone on long enough. We're getting ready to go into the, into winter in Europe, and they don't have enough fuel to keep everybody heated. So you're going to have people starving to death in, in, in some sense, but freezing to death. Okay. And that's going to be on Joe Biden's head for not getting to the peace table and bringing things back to normal when it was very obvious that it was in America's interest and Europe's interest, meaning NATO's interest mm -hmm. to have done that already. And it's still not even been begun. So if, if I'm McCarthy, that's the that's the position that I take. I may not necessarily go public with that position, but I'm certainly going to get on the phone with, you know, Biden or whichever one of his handlers uh, needs to hear that message. And it's like, look, this is the sense of the, the Congress that just got elected is you're going to make peace. The party's over and that's it. And you're going to make peace between Ukraine and Russia. OK, this leads me to McCarthy. Um. I don't think he's a wartime consigliere. No. And so my concern with him, he's not that bright. And no. I, and he's on the take, blah. I mean, they all are, but I, I just am like, I don't think that he has the, ch he's no Newt Gingrich. Let's just put it that way. Of course not. And so I'm wondering, is there anyone in the house who should be in that position? Like I'm thinking, and is there any chance at all that he will be booted from leadership? Because like, I think Jim Jordan's a fighter, right? He's not very an artful, very communicator, but he he's a good fighter. 
look, and I feel I, like I love, we need somebody. I love Jim Jordan. Okay, Steve Scalise is a personal friend of mine. I think oh, Steve yeah. would be fabulous. Yeah, I think he'd be great. I would. I would I want Scalise more than McCarthy, more than I can possibly um, uh, uh, describe. Um, what I'm hoping is that those guys, you know, another Mike Johnson's a, a good friend of mine, and Mike is brilliant. Um, in mm -hmm. fact, we're doing this Tuesday. I think yesterday, Mike recorded a hour and a, hour and a half long podcast with Jordan Peterson, which is mm -hmm. like an absolute okay. must see thing. Um, you know, so like I think you have some really, really good people behind McCarthy who can tell him what to do. Um, I mean, I even think at least Stefanik is pretty bright. I mean, I like I like I like at least Stefanik, too. So your leadership behind McCarthy, I think, will make him a little better than he is. Okay. Um, and I feel okay about that. You know, like when McCarthy makes the phone call I just described, I hope one of them is sitting next to him with his mouth shut and the, and the says, like sending over pieces of paper. Here, say this, say right. this. Popping him <laughs> up in the you know, back of the head. Hey, stupid, don't say that. Like <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that that you have, you know, that kind of oversight over McCarthy. Um, so that, you know, I mean, the guy's not a genius, but maybe you can make him look that way. I don't know. Um, okay, then the Senate. What, well, I, well, we're going to have to see about the Senate because, you know, you said 54. Mm -hmm. um, if if you're if you're, like, if you're right about the 268 in the House, your number in the Senate is not 54. Your number is 56. OK, because mm -hmm. if it's that big, you're going to get Joe O'Day and you're going to get Tiffany Smiley. Right. Like you're going to mm -hmm. get those. Um, you might even get Leora Levy. Like that's that would be crazy. It would be crazy, but it's, I mean, 268 in the house is crazy. Okay. So like, yeah, that's true. It starts to become like the things that you think are not possible then become possible. Point is 54 or bigger. All right. Mitch McConnell's going to have trouble getting a majority in that caucus. Yeah. Like when they have the vote as to who their majority, because the minute you, you get to 54 and Rick Scott is in Ron Johnson mm -hmm. may be in. Okay, like those, and then those two guys are going to negotiate with each other as to which one is going to be the candidate because you're not going to run multiple people against Mitch. That do you stupid. know? Do you know either of those guys? Uh, I know some of Scott's people, and yeah. like the thing about Rick Scott is that he doesn't present as a super dynamic guy when he goes on TV or whatever. But the guy was a really good governor of Florida. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like really good, and had very good political instincts. Now, I have some criticisms of the consulting firm that he's used all the way up, which is mm -hmm. on message out of Virginia. Uh, these guys have run, they're like, they get, they get all the jobs and they always underperform. Okay. Like mm -hmm. they had the RGA um, contract and they'd spent all this money when Cuccinelli was running in Virginia oh. and it was the Chinese car makers and all this against Terry McCall. It was like the stupidest messaging ever. They actually, they had DeSantis in 18, which he oh. underperformed, okay? He did underperform. He got, his butt was, got he saved by the grassroots. Right. And so that's the one thing about Rick Scott is I don't think that, like, politically he has it together and he probably would need to maybe get some new friends. Um, mm. But, uh, you know, like, um, the guy really did a good job running Florida which makes me think that maybe he could do a really good job running the Senate. 
Um, I interviewed. I mean, like, look, I interviewed. You're a governor of a state. You're you're half your job is legislation, legislation and dealing with legislative bodies. So you have to have those skills. Right. I don't think right. it's it's not a bad skill set that he brings to the table. Would I yeah, rather I have Ron Johnson though? Yeah. I mean, Ron Johnson is us. Like you and me are Ron Johnson. Yeah. Right. So like to me, he'd be perfect. I don't know if he's got enough. Um, uh, enough of a following in the Senate to be able to pull that off. You know, Rick Scott at least ran the NRSC. I know there have been yeah. a lot of complaints about the NRSC this cycle. If you get 55, 56 senators, he's going to say, well, I'm the one that was giving those guys money, right? Like I funded Blake Masters when Mitch wouldn't, mm -hmm. right? So he's going to have a, a good argument, um, mm -hmm. but we'll see. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that my, I think if I had... I really like Ron Johnson. I interviewed him right, you know, before the first time he was elected. And I was like, this guy is great. He's run a business. He whatever. In some ways, I feel like uh, Rick Scott has more of the savvy. And it's been interesting watching him and McConnell. Like there's this really, I don't know if you saw it, but there was this like iconic picture and neither one would make eye contact with the other. Um, they were like walking around each other at some court sort of press conference. And I was like, they, yeah, they hate each other. But McConnell knows that his days are numbered. And the thing is, is even if he manages to hold on to the leadership position, he's going to have to fight for it, which is something that at his point in his career, he never thought would have to happen. I just I have a really hard time seeing him hang on Um mm -hmm. I mean, if it's 51, right? Like, I mean, if we're just wrong mm -hmm. and like uh, there's all these seats that yeah. don't that don't um, uh, that don't end up happening. You know, if you lose with Blake Masters and you lose right. with Oz and you lose with Herschel and you're in the, you know, mm -hmm. sitting at 51, then yeah, okay, right? I mean, you know, I guess he can do it for maybe two more years or something. The tw the way that comes in 2024, he's gonna he's done. Like he's he's literally done because yeah. that the democrats have got to hold something like seven or eight seats that trump won in either 16 or 20 you know montana and and you know mansion and 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 that, like they can't hold those okay they're going to lose yeah. those seats and those are going to be maga revivalist republicans that go in so mm -hmm. um you know so it's like a short-term deal and does he really want to be you know, facing an open revolt within his own people when it's all about him trying to tamp down the vast majority of the House caucus that wants these things. That's going to be a mess. Like, that's yeah. going to be a real serious mess. Um, so, you know, like, we'll see. Um, I, I, I got to think that when this thing comes in, if it's 54, or even if it's 53, um, I think you see some developments with Mitch mm. and, I, and I think he's out because the, look, he's the least popular politician in Washington. Okay. And you're, you're His approval rating is 12%. Yeah. And you're looking, you're, you're finishing an election cycle. Okay. That he wasn't really on the ballot, but the other unpopular was politicians in Washington were on the ballot and they got murdered. Right. Mm -hmm. So I, I like at some point you have to realize that it's 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 time to take the win and, and move on. Um, yeah. And I, I think he's he's at that point. Trump is going to get in in a week. And when Trump gets in, I mean, like I heard, 
you know, earlier today, I'm in the car going to going to vote, and you know, uh, Clay Travis and Buck Sexton are on. They had Trump on the show, and Trump unloaded, unloaded on Mitch McConnell. I mean, absolutely, yeah. just laid into how hard he's the worst thing we got in the Republican Party. Like, just on and on and on. That's not going to stop. Trump is yeah. going to rail on Mitch McConnell the entire time. And if you're Mitch, I think you run for the back bench. Because it's over. I mean, you can, oh, yeah, I'm going to lead this caucus. And the real question is, like, you're going to have to watch for knives in your back the entire time over the next two years. Because when you make one false move that the Republican voter voting base doesn't like, okay, if you're trying to tamp down the radicalism of the, of the Republican base and all this other kind of uh, crud, I got news for you. Like, you're going to, you're good. There's going to be a motion to vacate the chair. It's going to happen sooner or later. They will get enough of a number to get rid of you because, again, the base is ascendant within the Republican Party. OK, and the base does not like Mitch McConnell. The base is going to be disgusted with Mitch McConnell as the Senate majority leader. And when he does things that the base doesn't like, the phone calls will come cascading into the offices of all of these guys. And there are enough Republicans coming up in 2024 that sooner or later, he's, you know, McConnell's going to get some calls. Hey, man, I can't support you anymore. Yeah. That's going to happen. I mean, this is what this is what it is to be super, super unpopular within your own party. And your own party is now taking over. The times have passed you by. And at some point, it's not tenable any longer. And it's not tenable now. So I just don't I just don't think that he can he can make it. I mean, it, if it's 51, then, OK, you can say, you know, all these things. And if and if it's the people that he said were not good candidates don't win. All right. Then it's going to validate him to an extent. But anything other than that. I, I think he's out. I think he's done. I think it's Rick Scott or it's Ron Johnson or maybe there's a compromise guy. And, you know, somebody like Cornyn goes in, which I hope is. Oh, not no, no, no. I don't oh, think you no. can make that fly. I really don't. I think you're going to no. have to have a full changing of the guard. Um, yeah. The guy who really ought to step up and do it is Tom Cotton, because I think nobody would vote against Cotton if he if he didn't, because he's seen as a really strong leader. And the guy has some chops and is aggressive. Um, I think he wants to run for president, which it's not his time. Um, but you know, Cotton would be a guy. I mean, there's a bunch of people who could do it. I'd love to see Josh Hawley do it. He's too new, but man, if you had Josh Hawley as a majority leader, that dude would, I mean, you talk about we have a, like, I don't know, are Hawley and Cotton millennials or Gen Xers? No, they're Gen Xers. Are they? Are they? And it's they're... time for Gen X to take over. Oh, it's no, time. it's time. It's the the thing is, time. is yeah, it's well past time. We need and the the pathetic thing in in the Senate is that we've had some really good young um at the time when they were first elected during the first wave of the Tea Party stuff, we've had some excellent um you know conservatives elected and Mitch McConnell promptly um you know neutered them. I don't want to say what yeah. I was going to say. No, and yeah. Yeah, and purposefully. And John Cornyn has been a part of that. I utterly utterly reject John Cornyn. I will do everything in my power to get him out of office in a couple of years. I am done with him. And I want to happen to him what happened to Kay Bailey Hutchinson here in Texas. He does not 
he is not representing the people of Texas. He is not uh, he has not ever stood for the conservative point of view, and he has the backing of the voters here to do it. And he's refused. He votes and acts like he's from Maine. And I can't abide it. He has got to go. So, you know, I don't know who's going to replace him here, but there's a list You've of got a people. Deep bench in Texas. You don't have we to do. John Cornyn. I mean, that's, yeah. you know, I mean, like, they're, they're, and that's the thing for so many of these Republican um, um, senators. I mean, you know, I got it here in Louisiana with Bill Cassidy, who's just yeah. like the stupidest of the stupid party Republicans. Um, yeah. And, you know, he's talking about trying to run for governor around here next year. And I mean, everybody's just like, come on. Like, I mean, we can't wait to put him in that governor's race so we can repudiate him completely. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and he doesn't come up until 2026. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of like, what are we going to do with this guy? But I mean, you know, what you do with him is you marginalize. Him, OK, yeah. I mean, you put other people in the leadership position. You stick this guy in the back bench and you say, look, you're going to behave yourself or. You're not going to like the results, right? I mean, what do you think the Democrats do with with their recalcitrant members? I mean, they get shut up. You know, it's like you're not going to get any money. We're not going to give. We're not going to give you. Yeah, any, I, I, I need. I need to say something here, Scott. This message goes out to any senator who um, is thinking what to do about leadership in the Senate on the Republican side. Let's just, with the assumption that we get 53 seats, okay? There will be a temptation to work with Mitch McConnell, but this is what will happen. The last time we had overwhelming support in the House and Mitch McConnell was still in charge, he backstabbed the leadership in the House over and over and over again. Yep. So yep. a lot of people hated, um, oh, what's his name from Ohio, who was the leader um, in the Huh? Boehner. So a lot of people blame Boehner for a lot of the problems when the real problem was Mitch McConnell utterly bending him over, over and over and over again and yep. and not negotiating in good faith and then backstabbing him when it came out in public. And so I don't know if most Republicans have a long memory, but those who are in now getting elected, I'm talking to you, Blake Masters and and J.D. Vance and any of these new people in the Senate who come along, you need to know who you're dealing with in the leadership position. And Mitch McConnell will not back you up for sure. But what he will do to the whole uh, America first agenda is screw it over. And so. Well, look, I mean, he did it to the Tea Party movement and he did it in the open. He came out and said, oh, yeah, we're going to co-op these guys. Right. Yeah. I mean, and he and he and he did. And I mean, you know, everybody should have seen it coming. But, you know, the Tea Party movement was a whole lot of people who had never been involved in politics right. before, were exceptionally naive and had no yeah. idea what they were up against. This movement, the MAGA movement, revivalist movement, is built largely off of some veterans of the Tea Party movement yeah. who have now gotten an education as to what actually it takes to win um, and are far more ruthless and far more sophisticated than, you know, they were 10, 12 years ago. And far more like Democrats. Like this is where I go back to being like more centrist. So the, a lot of the Tea Party was, had a problem because it was in a sense divided. You had the Ted Cruz, Rand Paul types, uh, and and uh, Mike Lee, you know, small government kind of libertarian. And then you had the Marco Rubio types 
um, who are a little bit more populisty. And then you had in the house anyway, the kind of the me first and my fair share types, what I call is kind of divided between the libertarian where they're like, wait, big bank bailout. I want to bail out. Okay. So now what you have are with the MAGA types is like, no, 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 no. We're not paying for foreign wars. We're not doing this. That second kind of type me first of my fair share, which is more Democrat, by the way, which is why some conservatives have a problem with it because they're like, well, we want the government to be smaller. Well, on our now people are like, well, the government doesn't show any indication that it's going to get smaller. If it's going to be this way, then we are going to make it run our way. We're going to take the power of this beast and make the beast be ours. Right. And I, you know, you can agree or disagree with that, but in some ways, the Mitch McConnells and all of these folks who refused to put a stop to the the marauding power of the left are to blame for the American people rightly going, okay, we tried to make the government smaller. They would not listen. And that doesn't work anyway, because they still find a way to screw us. So we're going to take this power. And like DeSantis in Florida and um, in Virginia, we are going to say no. We're going to use the rules and this is going to stop because trying to be nice about it and small government about it, government about it doesn't work. And so that's why I think we're saying I, we're at the end here of our time. Scott, is there, do you have any parting thoughts before I go? I, I'm afraid and I want to say this. I'm afraid that we're going to sound like we don't that we're hopelessly out of date by the time people hear this. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, I you know, I think it's safe to to predict that this is going to be a Republican majority House and Senate when it's all said yeah. and done. I think you're going to you're going to see 30 or more Republican governors when it's all said and done. Um, at least from what we've seen of them going through this electoral process, the new people that are going to be in these positions on the Republican side are not the Mitch McConnell type people. Okay, they're very much the, you know, the, the MAGA revivalist America first agenda. I mean, the Carrie Lakes and I mean, we just go through the litany of who these guys are. And they're tigers. Okay, these are disagreeable Republicans. They are going to Washington or going to their state houses with the express agenda of not fighting the left, but rolling back the left. Okay. Mm -hmm. And, and I mean, I, I think very few of these people are naive in thinking that just getting there is going to make it happen. I think most of these guys understand because of the media coverage of, of their, um, their campaigns and the way that they've been treated. And because of the, the rhetoric coming out of Biden and all that, nobody is going to Washington as a new member of the House or Senate, for example, with the idea that what they're taking on is going to be easy. Like these guys get it. They understand that this is going to be war. Okay. And that they have got to be brawlers and they can't just go up there and go shake hands with Democrats in the cloakroom and think that everything's going to be fine. They know it's not because they know the state of the country is such that it can't be fixed that way. Cause if it was, somebody would have already fixed it. So I think, I think that it's, I'm encouraged because I think that the people that are going in are much more clear eyed than mm -hmm. the previous waves of folks. I mean, I'd even go back to 2016 with Trump getting elected. Trump was hopelessly naive as to yeah. what he was up against as president. And he would admit that, okay? And managed to succeed a little, you know, quite a bit um, uh, in spite of that. 
but like the entire populist conservative movement, I think has now come of age because of the beatings that they've taken mm -hmm. over the last several years. And like, this is a, you know, I mean, these are hardened revolutionaries who've got scars and bullet holes in them <laughs> from having fought through all of the crap that they've had to fight through to and get in some cases spe and, sp and spent time in jail. Well, yeah. I mean, the or, thing no, is the regime, like the regime has jailed these people. Somebody shows up and tries to stab Lee Zeldin. They sent white powder to Carrie Lake's campaign off. I mean, you know, like there, there's, yeah, there's all kinds of this stuff. So in other words, I think that what you're getting is maybe the best Republican Party that you've had since the 20s. Okay. Um, I mean, you know, maybe you don't have a Ronald Reagan at the top of it, but Reagan didn't have a bench. Reagan didn't have support. Yeah. He had the guys around him, but yeah. you didn't have a broad base in the Republican Party that understood Reaganism. That was the, the base voters, but there were very few Reaganites in high positions in, you know, the House and Senate and governors mm -hmm. and all this other kind of stuff. So like you've now have a movement that I think has come into its own, perhaps, uh, with this election and certainly what's coming in 2024. And you're going to have a Republican Party that may be capable of governing as a majority party in the way that Democrats did with, you know, the New Deal and, and Great Society era, um, where they, you know, they were, they, they saw themselves as belonging in charge. Right. Um, I think you may start to get that with the Republicans and you have not had that for a very very long time. Um, I don't think we're talking about a new era in American politics. Right. It happens right. when the Republican Party is ready to be that. And I think yeah. that's what we're about to see. So maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm maybe I'm the naive one. Um, but, you know, like that's what I see. And I think the Democrats see it, which is why their rhetoric is so over the top, because they see mm -hmm. the end of an era coming. Yeah. Well, from your mouth to God's ears, we'll see. And um, we thank all of you for watching and look forward to what your perspective is. I, you know, this is probably not coming out on election day. And however, since this election, many of them will probably not be decided for days, <laughs> even tomorrow, this, this, you know, maybe not, we'll see, um, unless it's so completely overwhelming. Um, hopefully everybody did their part and, and voted. This is this is a time where I think people are going to be um probably for something for once on the on the right. Instead yep. of, you know, they talk about being against things all the time and what are you voting for? Well, we're for something this time, and there are things that need to be done and changed in a proactive way. And I think this this election cycle, it's going to happen. So thank you all for watching. Please go over to the American Spectator. We're going to have constant updates both today and throughout the election week. We have a print edition coming up and that will be dedicated to this election because we felt like it was going to be historic. So we've been planning this for a while. And um I urge you to subscribe so that yep. you can get that. Um, smash that like button, y'all. Definitely smash yeah. it. Subscribe. Yeah, smash like, it. Do, all, do all the things. Do all the things. Yeah, subscribe. Let's, let's this podcast. Yeah, exactly. And uh, um, so anyways, thank you so much. And thank you, Kate, who is our producer. You guys don't know this, but she put in a lot of work last episode and made it look beautiful. And that was not a given. 
And so we are very thankful for our producers too. Thank you all. And we will talk to you on the flip side. Mm -hmm.